Hello and welcome to this week's episode of From Creation to Close. My name is Christina Dolan and today we're sitting down with Charles Robert Bone, business law attorney at Bone McAllister Norton, Nashville's sixth largest law firm. In addition to his law practice, Charles has been instrumental in developing several Tennessee-based companies as an investor and board member, and he's also participated in various real estate transactions. Of course, I have my lovely co-host, Justin Williams, with me here today. Hi, Justin. As always, so excited to be here. And now I'd like to officially welcome our guest, Charles Robert. Thank you so much for being here. Okay, so as a firm, Bone McAllister Norton, tell us a bit about what you do. Sure. So I am uh, president and CEO. We have uh, right at 40 or 41 lawyers. We had a new attorney join yesterday. And so we've got, as, as we say, um, so we've got 40, 41 lawyers, 38 of them are happy every day, just a different 38. Um, and we, what we think of ourselves is we, we, we pride ourselves on diversity. We pride ourselves on providing kind of a, what we think of as exceptional client service. Uh, we're the sixth largest firm in Nashville. That was not our intent when we started. That's just kind of where we've ended up. It's a little bit of a unique size for a law firm. You see a lot of law firms, they're either dramatically bigger or dramatically smaller. So we're kind of a mid-sized firm. Uh, everybody's a member. We don't have partners and associates. That makes us a little different. Obviously, we have different people of different ages and different uh, experience levels and different billing rates. Uh, but our focus uh, externally to our clients is for any specialty, any focus you need, you're going to have an A-chair quality person. They're not pushing that work down or out to a bunch of other people. Uh, the other thing that makes us unique, particularly when folks join our firm coming from another place, we're fully transparent on our financials. Everybody understands, everybody sees what everybody makes, everybody sees how much they've billed, uh, what they've collected, what they've originated. We get to the end of the year, we occasionally have people who are disappointed. We have very few people who are surprised. And uh, it's not a perfect system, but we think it's better than the other systems we've seen. Our, our motto is do good, have fun, make money. Yeah. We try to keep it in that order. Occasionally that gets jumbled, but do good, have fun, <laughs> make money is, 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 is what we focus on. That transparency that. is really cool. It's very cutting edge. I think I'm seeing a lot of companies go in that like – like there's even a few companies now that are posting every employee's salary on their website. Like wow. just yep. we're just going to show people and this yep. is the calculator and it involves seniority and, you know, there's all these factors. It's just like a whole calculator they have and they're like, we're not trying to hide this. So, Well, and what, what makes us unique is we essentially pay nothing for seniority. Um, we pay the, the person, the youngest person or the person who joined us yesterday has the ability to make the same as the person who's been practicing for 40 years. Everybody's compensated pretty much according to the same formula. And so people like that. It attracts a lot of kind of entrepreneurial-minded attorneys. It's not it's not the perfect system for everybody, but we have to really push folks to think about collaboration, to think about working as teams. And again, it's not a perfect system, but we, we like it better than the others, and it takes away this mystery that we found with other firms is you didn't know what the person in the office next to you was making, and your mindset is, well, I'm working harder than them, and I bet they're being paid more than me because somebody won't tell me. And we just thought that was more of a, just a toxic environment. Yeah. So, yeah. again, transparency, it is what it is. If somebody has an issue with it, they at least know what it is, and, and they know why that person's making more than they are. Yeah, wow. you're taking out any resentment anyone would have. That's that's awesome. In theory. <laughs> oh, I, uh, sorry, I don't, I don't want to stick too long on that, but I, I'm fascinated by it because I, I think um, the startups and, and the trend – we were at a marketing event where we were hearing more about 
we heard uh, some profiles of companies that are doing this, and they came at it from a startup perspective. And so I'm, I'm wondering, like, is that something you guys adopted, or did the transparency thing was that something that's been there from the beginning? It, it has been there for the from the beginning. So we founded our firm in 2002. I actually didn't join until 2004. Uh, but most of the folks were rolling out of bigger, larger regional firms, and you could just tell there was that frustration of, look, I want to know what it is. I mean, and so, I mean, that's really where we began, which was, one, that focus on diversity, but, two, that focus on transparency. I mean, so that was kind of just the, the origins of where we are. Well, As you can appreciate, you know, lawyers have a way of um, rationalizing anything for their own client. They also do that with their own um perspective on our comp system. So every year I have somebody come and say, well, we ought to tweak it this way. And I'm like, well, you're saying that because that would benefit you. They're like, <laughs> well, I hadn't thought about it that way, but you get so, you, they can rationalize anything. So yeah. we, we've, we've, we've made some adjustments over time. We've tried to be open-minded, but at the same time, we're not going to just throw out, just because we have one exceptionally good year or a down year, we're not going to just going to throw out the model yeah. just because of the because of a bump. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, before we sat down, I was looking at your LinkedIn profile and it's really, it was really fascinating to me and it stood out because I look, you know, I'm in marketing, I look at a lot of LinkedIn profiles right. every day and usually it's like all these jobs over the years and, you know, maybe one volunteer experience. Yours is totally stacked the other way. You have so much volunteer experience listed out and one, like this is what you've done like your whole life and I think that's amazing <laughs> I, I like being involved and yeah. um, uh, you know running for mayor gave me exposure to a lot of other great things happening in the community and the opportunity to serve on some different boards and to be involved in some different stuff um, most of our folks of our 40 attorneys I would say 25 or 26 are very active in the community very active with at least one nonprofit if not more um, Nashville is just such a unique place where there are so many good uh, programs and nonprofits and organizations. It's just it's an easy place to plug in. It's so great. It's so great. And and on the you know the business side, have you you know just taking it back to like like little kid? Did you always know you wanted to be a lawyer? So my dad is a lawyer. Obviously, he he founded our firm. So I kind of grew up around it. Uh, I knew I always wanted to go to law school. Uh, actually, I didn't think I was going to practice law. I didn't know what I thought I was going to do, um, but I thought it would be a good education. Uh -huh. And people said, well, it'll, it'll teach you to think in a different way and it'll give you good writing skills and analytical skills. So I, I, I did that and kind of just kind of one piece fell into place after another. And then I'm 18 months after law school. I'm like, well, here I am. I, and I, I accepted a job coming out of law school. I thought, well, I won't do this long. And I had some other you know, kind of side hustles that I was working on. And I thought, well, I'll, you know, I'll do this and see how I like it. And now here I am, I don't know, 17 years later. So I guess that's what I'm going to do. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm still, still, still thinking about the five-year plan. Yeah, well, I'm still casting about, right? I'm always... It's like, it's like history majors. I'm like, well, what they, so you're going to teach? And I'm yeah. like, no, no, no. And then they end up teaching. <laughs> well, what was funny, a couple of nights ago, my, my wife has a... Uh, uh, degree in Western history, Western civilization uh, from Vanderbilt. My kids were like, so what did you think you were going to do with that? That's <laughs> <laughs> the hard question. Yeah. The hard She's question. Like, did she have an answer? Was she going to be an academia? Sure. <laughs> she did not. Uh, okay, okay. But they were, I mean, they were like, like so, because they were asking us both, like, so yeah. what's your major in? How did you do this? And, and I, I think, one, they were stunned. I mean, you know, they, they know her as mom. I think they yeah. were stunned to know that she'd even been to college, much less you know, <laughs> oh, gone to Vanderbilt. And they're like, did you work for a while? She said, well, yeah, I worked for a little while. But then, you know, when I got pregnant, we moved on. And yeah. It was just like, it was eye-opening to them. Such like, a realization. Had, had no idea. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, it was like a kid being like, oh, wait, 
you had another life. Yeah. <laughs> like you did other things before I, we I existed. When we, uh, when we had really small children, uh, there was a family that lived next door, and he was a freshman in college and was home, and we were close to them. So he asked my for my wife's help with a paper. She's like, oh, yeah, I'll help you with that. And the next day he called me and he said, she's really smart. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. He's like, yeah, I can write a paper. Uh, You're like, I know absolutely. she's smart. I don't think there's an honor code violation there. I'm sure she didn't write it. I'm sure she, <laughs> she, she, she was guided. Yeah. She guided it. That's absolutely. good. I, I sorry, I have to. I have to ask. Like, did your wife like have a mild heart attack every time the children seem surprised that she is uh, you know, exceptionally intelligent? Or? <laughs> no, 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 no. But uh. You know, as you can imagine, so we have four children, so our, our house is just total chaos. Oh, yeah. There are mild heart attacks all day, every day. Yes. Um, at this point, she's used to it. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's not at the top of her list. Okay. That's okay. so funny. This morning was swim meet, right? Swim meet, swim oh, meet, boy. swim meet. And I'm sure there'll be something else after that. <laughs> okay, so I've been in Nashville for 16 years, and I've seen some huge changes, obviously, in that time. And I was personally a little blown away to hear that you actually played a pretty major role in one of the, I'd say, maybe the largest changes in downtown. What's up with the Music City Center? <laughs> tell, tell me about that. i got to know more about so how that happened. what was really um, one of the things I was most proud of, so I served as general, and still serve as general counsel for the Convention Center Authority, okay. which, which planned, financed, designed, built, and operates the Convention Center. And there were a lot of people involved in that process, but I was honored to play a small part in that. Um, so my involvement started with them in late 2009. They had gone through um, an RFP process for attorneys. They, they picked, um, I think, maybe two firms to help. We were one of them. <laughs> Originally, MDHA started the, the, the pre-planning for that um, and was really focused on using another law firm, which was fine. Uh, over time, the plan was to, to establish a new convention center authority, which was permitted by state law, and to transition that project over. And really, we kind of lucked into that place where they had already, MDHA really kind of had their counsel, so we were still sitting there in the wings. They said, okay, well, why don't you all take this aspect of it? And I'd really not been involved in the, the procurement process. I really wasn't interested in, in being a part of it. But over time, realized that it was one part legal and one part political would be the wrong word, but there's, a, there's, a, there's various constituencies to that project. And so I really stepped in um, and kind of served as that general counsel starting in late 2009 and was just an unbelievable learning experience, both on a, a construction project that was a $585 million project that had everything from how do you acquire the land to how do you put a procurement policy in place, how do you do the construction contracts, how do you figure out um, uh, from a prevailing wage standpoint and how do you you know uh, report that to the state, how do you deal with open records requests. I mean, there was something every day, and they, you know that was, that was the biggest capital project that thus far has been done in the city from a government standpoint and and was pretty controversial would not be the word but there were people who were passionately for it there were people who were passionately against it and even those who were against it were, were still trying to challenge it throughout the construction process and so literally most of my days I spent I don't know five or six hours focused just on that um, well, as far as like def deflecting or responding to like people like filing claims or well, trying know, to what, what was interesting is uh, we went through that entire project and never had one construction related lawsuit 
And what? Uh, I give the Larry Adama, uh, who was the senior project manager, and Mark Sturdivant, uh, who who was also in that role. They just they they adopted, which was a great learning experience, a mindset of whatever the issue is, we're going to work it out. And there were some really hard meetings. There were some really tough conversations with the construction manager. And, and as you can imagine, there were hundreds of subs on that project. Oh, yeah. uh. I think the only true litigation we had was over an open records issue and about some proprietary private information, social security numbers, et cetera, which is what it was. Yeah. But it really, it was this mindset of and, – and, and I thought one of the things that was great about that project is – the, the leadership of that project had very much a, a private sector mentality that said, we're going to build this on time and on budget, and if we get out doing what we're not supposed to be doing, we're going to look to you as the lawyer to pull us back and say, hold on, this part, you know, we got we got to slow this down just a little bit. we got to bring in yeah. uh, some other people. But it, it was just a, it was a fantastic learning experience as a part of that. We also did the deal with Omni Hotel. We did the uh, – uh, connector space between the Country Music Hall of Fame and the Omni, which the Convention Center Authority actually owns and leases back to the ah. Country Music Hall of Fame. And one of the interesting things was we wanted it where you could walk in the front door of the Country Music Hall of Fame and walk out the Omni. So it was seamless to you, to the to the customer. It looks like one building, mm-hmm. uh, which, easy, which ended up being hard, easier said than done because we had to make that a a condominium structure, obviously, between those three. The floors aren't exactly alike, so right. one floor comes in further than the other. And it, it was an absolute maze. But it was a great learning <laughs> project. Together, though. And it was also, um, uh, I mean, really an advanced degree in just how metro government works and what are all the different departments and agencies and, and how all this comes together and who, who decides what and what the approvals are and what you can and can't do. I'm, like, chomping at the bit to ask, is this what kind of, like, gave you that, uh, I think I might... You might want to run for office. You know, it, it really did. I mean, there were there were a couple of pieces of that. One, just seeing how that project was done. What I really appreciate about Mayor Dean at the time was he's and 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 people forget, right? You think about the trajectory that Nashville's on and the unbelievable run we've had the last five or six years. That was not necessarily the case in two thousand nine. And it had been really easy after he took office when the economy was down and there, there was a lot of people saying we ought to pull back, we, we ought to slow down for him to say we're going to put this on the shelf for a year and revisit. But in hindsight, and, and, and there was a study done at the end of it, in hindsight it was if we had built this two years later, how much more would it have cost? Probably 50 or $60 million. Wow. And two, you're able to borrow money at the, at the very best time possible. You had some federal stimulus money in there called Build America Bonds where we still get a rebate on some of the interest. But just seeing how that project was done and managed and the power of being able to invest in ourselves also have some interest in some restaurants and bars downtown and was getting to the place where I, I see their numbers every night, depending on the establishment, between midnight and 3 a.m., and you see how that compares to the year before. And I, I just had this feeling that I couldn't let go that Nashville was on this unbelievable run. And what I thought early on in those conversations, that race was th- two years ago now, it was in August of 15. But leading up to that, the 15, 16, 18 months before that, what I thought I heard people saying that were either running or wanted to run or talking about running was, well, Nashville's had this great run, but we need to slow down. We need Mm -hmm. to pull back. Mm -hmm. And that was a message I just couldn't get comfortable with. I mean, I fully appreciate 
that Nashville had and continues to have some pretty big issues around education, Mm -hmm. around affordable housing, around transit, around equity, around public safety. But my view was our best chance of addressing and investing those issues is by keeping our foot on the gas over here from an economic development standpoint. And I was just compelled to say, look, I mean, what we've created downtown, right, even you all are benefiting it from it where you are being four, sure. four and a half miles from downtown is yeah. we've created, and it's not just in downtown. I mean, there are other examples of this from Opryland to the Hermitage to the zoo, et cetera. But we've created this proprietary district where literally we can say as a city, we can invest a dollar and expect to get a five or a six or a seven X return on that. And we can use the returns from that, from sales tax generated from tourists, et cetera, to go invest in sidewalks in Donaldson or to, to build a new school in East Nashville or to increase teacher pay. And, that, and over time, I just couldn't let that go. And I kept thinking, well, somebody's going to step up and say that. And as they didn't, all of a sudden I realized, well, gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm in, right? I mean, I, mean I'm, yeah. I'm, 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 I can't turn back now. Put me in, Coach. And I will say, I mean, I, I mean obviously – that didn't work out the way that I would have liked. But the reason I supported Megan Barry in the runoff is not only she and I were good friends before. In fact, she and I had lunch the day that I announced. Uh, she did not know that was the day I was going to announce it. But <laughs> no, I told no. her, Lauren, she's like, well, okay, this is great. Uh, but we became even better friends over the course of that. But I supported her not because of of our friendship and relationship, but because I thought her message was most similar to mine, which is Nashville's an unbelievable place. We absolutely need to keep our foot on the gas, uh, but at the same time, we can't turn our backs on these other issues, but we can do both of those simultaneously. We don't have to say we're going to stop investing as a city. We're going to stop worrying about economic development and focus on these issues. You only do both. I'm and so I glad. just thought, yeah, I mean, I just thought as a city, you're either moving forward or you're moving backwards. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's similar to your business, similar to my law firm. There's no such thing as status quo. It just doesn't exist. Obviously, a, a, a long passion uh, for law and sort of this move to, to politics. You've inadvertently uh, always been, whether you would have admitted to it prior to this or not, uh, it sounds like a sales and marketing person. <laughs> so... Um, to that point, uh, was you know in your in CEO and president of, of your firm. I mean, is do you find yourself in the weeds, you know, with clients in the, wearing the lawyer hat, or are you a, are you out sort of doing the sales and marketing thing for your firm and for the city? And so, yeah. so a combination. I spend about um, a third of my time on law firm management and and the business of that and helping our folks. I spend a month, about a third of my time with my own clients um, and about a third of my time with some outside interests that we have uh, being involved in that. But, but you're right. I mean, it is all sales and marketing at the end of the day. Um, we've got uh, a group of lawyers that, for the most part, understand business development. Um, being a law firm is unique. I mean, the, the type of business we do, the vast amount of our referrals are coming either from current clients are coming from other lawyers. I was wondering about that. Yeah, and and so that makes it different from a marketing standpoint. I mean, Mm -hmm. the the best way uh, our folks, each of our folks can increase their individual business uh, is either to do more business with their current clients by helping them and being really a trusted advisor uh, and or being someone that other lawyers and other people in the community recognize as that that person is an expert in this area. And so that's where we, those who who want to do that, we try to encourage and support. 
Um, but for us, it doesn't work to do mass marketing. I mean, we've done some of that. We've done commercials in NPR, even sports talk. I don't know why that was the case. Uh, but I'm sure we someone told me. I'm sure <laughs> someone told you well, your, your demographics are listening to this yeah. program. You, so, you need to get an ad on it. Fine, or we were you know, fulfilling a favor for somebody, right. I guess. Uh, but um, so we, we focus more on just kind of what is our brand and how do we help each of our individual lawyers market and we, and we tried something new last year that is still a work in process but we give all our folks their own budget that they can deal with for marketing for business development for sponsorships for charitable contributions and for CLE we have to do kind of continuing legal education and have said listen we want you to promote yourselves how you want to promote yourself now again it's got a we kind of got to adhere to the overall brand and who we are, which is always hard to define, I think, for any for any business or establishment. But we try to empower uh, our lawyers to kind of make their own decisions about that. Cool. That is so crazy yeah. that you give each of them their own budget. I find that extremely fascinating. What? So what kind of stuff do they go and do with that? <laughs> you know, it, and she's all, and just to give her a yep. little background, also as our head of marketing, she's also having a mild heart attack at the thought of like yeah. our staff, like me having my yeah, own marketing no. budget. So our marketing director is probably having a mild heart attack right now, or <laughs> somebody who came in and said, "Hey, we're getting ready to do this." Yeah. It's it's all over the board, right? It is all over the board from somebody who wants to sponsor and participate in a golf tournament because of the group that they're going to play with and that's business development for them. Some folks use their allocation and go and get kind of private coaching to help them think about their own business development, their own plan and how to attack that. Uh, We've got folks who use a lot of that on just true business development, taking clients to lunch, taking clients to dinner. We've got client. We've got lawyers that use that to sponsor things from current clients, but but it is it has made people think about it in a different way. Where I had a lawyer come into my office on Monday and say, "I want to sponsor a golf tournament for twenty five hundred dollars." I said, "That's great." He said, "But does that come out of my bucket?" And I was like, "Well, yes, it comes out. That, that's what the, he's that's like. Exactly. He's right like that wouldn't be a firm expense." I was like, I, "No, that, that's for your. If you think yeah. that's what you need to do for your biggest client to cultivate them, I, I'm not going to second guess that." Yeah. He said, "Well, I, I don't want to know that I want to spend that much." I said, "Okay, well, let's think about who are some other lawyers in our firm who are helping you with that client, and why don't you go to them and ask them." To contrib- so we got people all day long, yeah, who say, "Hey, listen, this is going to cost us a thousand dollars. I'll do five hundred of that and go and ask some other folks for it." So it is an interesting collaboration. We have said it's not perfect, and there are some things like you know supporting legal aid, others, uh, connexion that we've said, "Listen, that that's a firm expense. That's something that everybody feels passionate about. It's something that we ought to do, and we're not going to ask people to participate in that. But if it's kind of your client or your idea to do something." You want to put in some ad words. You want to figure mm-hmm. out some of this. You have the bank. And the go for it. And I'm not going to second guess it. Now, when you go over, we may have a conversation. <laughs> and and we, we acknowledge the first year, listen, we, we, I, I can't anticipate the answer. And I had somebody say, uh, and we, we grandfathered in a couple of things last year to say, but next year that's on your dime. And I had somebody who's going to do a reception for a, a um, really stellar nonprofit or office, but it's going to cost about $3,500. And they said, well, if that's coming out of my pocket, I don't know that I want to do that. I said, that was the entire point of this, right? Yeah. I mean, you, 
you have We're to decide. Yeah, about right? You have to decide whether this is something you want to do or not. Yeah, that's funny. With great budget comes great responsibility. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're eighteen months in. I, I, we'll <laughs> so do they ever? I'm sorry. I'm. This is my world. Yeah. So I'm so interested. But so would they ever come to you, like each individual lawyer, and be like, you know, I really want to do. Um, like a billboard or is that stuff that they can do? Sure. I mean, they could, I mean, and we've got some folks that are talking about doing kind of their own um, TED Talks event, which would be four or five lawyers would invite people in. Um, and so, I mean, it encourages that kind of ingenuity. If they wanted to do a billboard, I'd probably ask some really hard questions. Yeah. I, I mean, our marketing director would probably walk out on them. <laughs> uh, but to say, let's talk about why and is that the right thing? Because, again, for most of our folks – they're not getting calls from somebody who sees that on a billboard. Now, if they can convince us otherwise, or I shouldn't even say convince. Look, I mean, if, again, if that's what they think is the most impactful, now we're going to try to uh, equip them with enough data to make a good analysis around that. But we've got folks who have probably proposed crazier stuff than that. <laughs> so does your so they all have that power themselves? So your marketing director is she doing stuff on her own where it's like. She's like, I know we need to do A, B, and C. She, she is doing uh, quite a bit on her own, uh, but she's also there to help those folks think about, you know, we do a firm newsletter. We've got folks who have their own blogs. We've got folks who um, <clears throat> do their own individual newsletter. So she's helping think about targeting for that, think about messaging for that, and think about execution for that. Uh, probably, you know, 20% of our folks take up 80% of her time, which is probably about what you would expect. We've got some folks who really understand, who, who want to understand that and, and, and try to think there. I mean, I tell our folks all the time, don't think like a lawyer, right? Think like a business person. Think like an entrepreneur. Don't think just because this hasn't been done in the legal field or just because somebody else is doing this means we need to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but So we keep an open mind on that. Um, she, she's there to... Steer. Help God. Yeah, steer. That's exactly right. <laughs> and to keep somebody ship. from going way off the tracks on that. <laughs> She's steering the mothership, yep. and they're all on their little smaller boats yep. connected. <laughs> and we do a lot. We host a lot of events at our office. We do a lot of receptions, a lot of lunches, a lot of parties, and we found that as a good way to, to make good, efficient use of our space, but also just from a marketing standpoint that – you know, that, that's just an easy way for us to kind of show hospitality. Oh, yeah. Events are my favorite part of marketing. You just that you, that face-to-face yep. is so much different than seeing a, a banner ad yep. when I'm looking at the weather. Yep. <laughs> so you mentioned entrepreneur, and you clearly are an entrepreneur. Um, and you foster this culture of having a firm of entrepreneurs. You're part of the entrepreneur organization. Yes, can you give us a little bit of insight, uh, especially for our listeners who aren't familiar with it, what EO is, um, sort of what you get out of it personally, yeah. and then also, um, well, go. And then, I, and then I'll follow <laughs> up. So um, EO is an um, international organization, entrepreneurs organization. Uh, Nashville has a, an affiliate branch of that. I joined in 2007. Um, I think the two requirements are you have to own your own business and have more than a million dollars in revenue. And there are great kind of learning social events throughout the year, but the most powerful thing is they break you up into your own forums. And I've been in the same forum for the last 10 years, and the forum is a group of six to eight business owners that meets on a monthly basis and gets pretty deep about what's going on in their business, their personal life, 
as well as you have the ability to make a presentation to your group to say, hey, listen, this is something I'm really struggling with in my business, or here's an opportunity, and let me walk through that. And, and it's supposed to be gestalt, meaning that you're not uh, offering advice, you're just sharing experiences that you've had. And what's, what I like about EO is it's not a sales organization. I can be a buyer, but I can't necessarily be a seller. I can't go and promote myself. Now, again, as you begin to go deep with these folks and you learn about their businesses and you share. You're aware of your skill set. I, yeah, I, I may mean, come I, to you yeah, down I mean, the road because I, I know who you are right, and what you right. do. And over time, I've gotten great business from that, but that was never the intent. It was getting to know people and getting to know people where they don't feel threatened that you're always trying to sell. Now, they do put all that aside for one afternoon a year and put all those rules um, out the door and there is an intense sales like so you can trade business cards and you can go through this speed dating of here's what I do and here's why I do it but it's been a great organization and and, and I think in Nashville we're up to uh, 160 to 180 members and I think it's one of the largest if not biggest chapters uh, really across the world that's awesome that is awesome so you sound like a very busy man <laughs> which is great right. <laughs> being busy is a good thing I personally can't stand it when I'm not busy I sit there and I'm like what do I do with my hands but um <laughs> but, for those listening uh Christina's flailing her yeah, hands I'm around very around. awkwardly <laughs> we don't know what we're doing Charles Robert and I are about to walk out my arms are, my arms are crossed <laughs> very uncomfortable <laughs> but but I mean being busy is good but so and you mentioned you have four kids yep. So, and, you know, a very smart wife. How do you handle that work-life balance? So it's a, it's a challenge every day. Um, what, what's so funny is even, like, going on vacation and taking a babysitter. And I, I, I have all these flashbacks to my childhood of, like, so that's what my parents were going through, and that was hard. That's why we were doing – like, I remember we, my parents would take a babysitter on vacation, and I thought, God, that's so weird, right? And, <laughs> And at night, like after dinner, why would they just disappear and like go someplace <laughs> else and leave? And like, they need time. Then it just comes rushing back. Um, but but it, it I mean it's a challenge. We are very busy, um, obviously even with four kids. The, the 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 main two things I do, and I don't know whether this is any insight or not. I, I am very rigid about wanting to take them to school in the mornings. I mean, that is my e- – even when they are crazy and yelling <laughs> and fighting, that's my only time really with them. I mean, yeah, because you get home at night and everything's scattered. And yeah. on the weekends, I mean, you're just going, you know, nonstop. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of the only captive time that I have with them. And I try, especially during the school year, try really hard not to schedule something before 8 a.m. just so that I can have that time with them. The, the second thing is, anytime I get any email or text about a school event, even if I think maybe I can't make it, I, I'm just rigid about, I want to put that in my phone. Like, I want to put that on the calendar so that I know it's there, so that I don't get surprised by something. And, you know, and it is sometimes a divide and conquer where my wife will say, listen, I'll go do this if you go do this, or vice versa. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a challenge, you know, it's it's every day. And, and sometimes uh, this is going to come off the wrong way, but, but you almost have to put it on the to-do list, right, to say, I'm going to make this event at this time, or I'm going to go with this child and do this and have some, some special time with, with her or him. Totally being intentional. Yeah, that's it. That's yeah. exactly that's that's it's well not bad at all. I will say, I, through an EO event, we had um, the opportunity to attend a Vanderbilt football practice and kind of a question and answer and spend time with James Franklin after that practice, who's now the coach at Penn State. And he, uh, I remember at the time, he had two daughters like you, um, and 
was obviously very busy, football, recruiting, being an SEC coach. And so I just asked the question. I said, listen, you're, you're a pretty busy guy, two daughters. Uh, you, you seem like you've got it all together. How do you balance work and, and, and family? And, and he sits there for a second. He says, and I was expecting some really sage advice. And he says, oh, I'm awful at it. <laughs> he said, oh. every day is a struggle. And I was like, I guess I should take comfort in that. I, mean, I, I, I was on the edge of my seat yeah, waiting like, for this amazing like, message. That's exactly, and he was like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm awful at it. Right? And he, said, he said, now, I mean, I'll get my kids to come to the office and we'll have lunch or if I'm not going to be home that night they'll come and bring me so he started sharing all these examples that clearly he was not as awful at it as he thought it's nice to show a little vulnerability I guess the humanity that not everybody's got together you know I left there thinking well I guess I feel better about that answer but I was really I I didn't want him to say you know I wanted him to say listen here you just have to follow these three or four rules and you got it but as I tell my wife you know parenting is it's like business or anything else it is a series of judgment calls Right, and you're not going to bat a thousand. You're not going to get everyone right, and you may miss something that you should have been, or you may allow your children to do something that, in hindsight, was an awful idea, or vice versa, and keep them from doing something or give them the wrong advice. And you're like, that was a mistake. But you, just like anything else, you got to bounce back and be ready for what, whatever that next decision, whatever that next cross point, whatever that next interaction is, and be ready to hit it head on. That next decision's coming quick. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Especially now that two of mine are 15 and 14, and oh. that's a. That Have you guys a, always been in Nashville, too? So I grew up in Hendersonville, oh, wow. uh, born and raised. My wife was from Donaldson. So oh, my gosh. We, Gallatin. Oh, really? Born right. in Gallatin. Oh, Sumner County. There you go. I went to Sumner Academy. Oh, did you really? So mm-hmm. I went to Sumner Academy in kindergarten. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. And then I went to Good Pasture first through 12th grade. That's so funny. Yep. Small world. It is. I love it out there. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm out of the loop here. I was, I'm from Dallas, Texas. <laughs> I, I apologize. Six, I 16 years qualifies. Yeah, I, right? I thought so. Like At some I point, I become a Nashvilleian. Mm-hmm. That puts you ahead of the pack. Thanks. Put yeah. you ahead of the hundred people who yeah. are coming here every day. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's true. I mean, I think, you know, all together, you've probably lived here longer than I did because my family moved when I was 10 and I only came back three years ago. Gotcha. So. Yeah. Oh. Everything comes full circle, but but I mean, speaking of Nashville, so I, this is my last question. Unless you, unless you have anything else, Justin. But what are some? You know, are you seeing any cool companies in Nashville? Anyone like doing something like really innovative? You know, being a part of the EO, you must come across a lot of companies. So, so it's like a uh, it says common thread that, uh, and it's also horrifying, but it's also so innovative, and it's across mm-hmm. in various different spectrums. But it's what people are doing with data. Right, and and they have the ability, whether it's on the healthcare side, um, to begin, you know, kind of this predictive or artificial intelligence. What, but you see people now doing it with traffic and and traffic studies, and they now can put up monitors to say if somebody comes to town, we can we can pick them, we can scan their license plate and pick them up to see are they going to the Green Hills Mall? Where else are they going? And what does that mean? not just for traffic patterns, what does it mean for economic impact and economic development? And again, you see people doing that in healthcare, you see people doing that in education. It's, and, and again, it's horrifying, right, that you know Amazon knows exactly, you know, I, I go Google something, and then sure enough, I get an email from Amazon saying, hey, have you thought about buying da-da-da-da-da? Oh, oh my yeah. gosh, they're watching me everywhere. Right. But, but it also has the ability to improve our lives from whether that's sitting in traffic or whether that's better health outcomes. And so you see a lot of these things that people really harnessing the power of not just technology, but but really mining that data for kind of predictive outcomes that I think long term will be more beneficial than not, but it's also somewhat dangerous. <laughs> right? I mean, it is, yeah. it is horrifying to think that, you know, they can predict what you're going to buy and when you're going to go somewhere. And ah, just. Yeah, I go back and forth with that all the time because – 
I enjoy seeing only the ads that I know I'm gonna like. Right. Like you know, yeah, I, mean, I, I, I like being that it's like almost declutter. Like, this is catered to me. Right. Yeah, like I, I enjoy that, but at the same time, I don't really like that I'm being watched. <laughs> right. Air quotes going on right now, but you know, I, I, there's even companies now that it's like a plug-in you can connect to your email so that when so like when you email me it'll tell me it's like okay so his personality he likes short and to the point messages don't worry about any small talk <laughs> or if i email you justin it would say wow. you know like it'll say like okay justin really likes that small talk he 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 can beat around the bush a little or you know like it'll, it'll tell me how i should respond to this email based on your interactions you know mm. huh. It's Hor- again, crazy, horrifying. Crazy, right? right? I, feel, I feel like that app just judged me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, oh. It does your disk profile yeah. like that, right? Yeah, That's yeah. Exactly it, who it, you are. it actually, I think it uses the disk profile and some of it's the stuff. But, <laughs> well, well. but then at the same mm-hmm. time for like a sales rep who's doing cold emails to someone, it could be really useful. Oh, yeah. yeah you yeah, know, yeah. like they'll be like, oh, I know exactly how right. to interact with this person. They like swearing, <laughs> you know, like, like, or this person's, you know, doesn't like, don't, don't go off the cuff, stay very professional or whatever. I actually but. really want to read one of those app reviews on, on me to see what it we'll really says. We'll pull it up says. after okay. this. Okay. Right. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I mean, to your point, I think it's crazy what we can do now. There's all that facial recognition right. and all the cameras everywhere. And I didn't even know the license plate thing. Yeah. But freaky. <laughs> all right. Well, do you have anything else, Justin? Charles or? Robert. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Um, This has been great. It was really fun talking to you. Great fun. Great to be you. Glad to do it. Yeah. And we love you and love Megan Berry. (laughs) (laughs) Nashville's a great place to be. It is an awesome place to be. Fun time to do business in Nashville. (laughs) All right, cool. Okay, I believe that does it for our questions. Quick thank you to our sponsor, Ecos, for helping make this podcast possible. If you're a marketer who's been trying to keep your team on brand or a sales rep who can never find the content you need in a timely manner, you need to check out Ecos. Ecos is a presentation management tool that saves marketing and sales teams time while staying on brand. Go to ecosprez.com to learn more. E-C-O-S-P-R-E-Z.com. Thank you, Christina. And thank you, Charles Robert Bone. Great conversation today. Really appreciate you sitting down with us. For everyone listening, be sure to subscribe to our podcast, From Creation to Close. You can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play Music. Until next time, thanks.